over the last six weeks, we have been talking about and taking the time to study and understand some characteristics of a person who is walking and living a life of genuine faith. Somebody whose faith is affecting their actions and affecting their reactions to the challenges and difficulties of life. The concept for our series has been taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, where it tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, this is our key word here, it is the evidence, our faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. Now, what we understand is that our faith, of course, is the foundation, it is the substance that we build our life upon, but once we are saved... Our faith has the ability to be evidence or the proof of the unseen world, of our God, of of the greatness of our God, of heaven that is to come. And so our faith, the way that our faith lives out in this life is proof that God does exist. It is proof of the life-changing power that he brings to our existence. I'm so thankful that for many of you, your story, uh, if you were to go back and explain uh, to the church family and I handed you a microphone, you said, hey, this is where I was and this is where I am. It is a testimony of your faith. It is a testimony of God's word work in you. And it's proof. It is proof that God can radically transform a life. And so that's what our faith is. Our faith is evidence. It is, it is revealing. In our study, we've seen, though, that when it's put into action, it reveals both external and internal changes that come about. We've talked about how there's a desire to grow. There's a heart to serve. Uh, we've seen how there's uh, an increasingly measurable uh, level of spiritual victory, of, of seeing uh, overcoming temptation and working through the challenges that we face. We see that ever increasing in our life. And each of these character traits are evidence to the world and to ourselves that we are growing, that we are maturing, and that we are living by faith, which is God's desire for you and I. God's desire for you and I is that we would be growing. If you remember in 2 Peter, it tells us that we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a, there's a forward motion in the Christian life. If you're a believer and you say and you claim Jesus Christ is my Lord and I believe in God, there should be some forward motion in your life. There should be a direction that you're going in. We are not created to just sort of flounder in life. God wants us always moving forward, making changes, seeing things happen in our life. And so this morning we're going to complete our series. And the one that I, the the last one that I want to wrap everything up with, the uh, evidence of our faith, is I want to talk about this morning. One of the great evidences of a person that's following Christ and the change that is within is that there is a longevity to your walk with God. There's a sustainability to your faith. Now, we live in a day where sustainability is a key word, right? How many of you have heard the word sustainability in the last like three days? Okay, all right, everybody, right? It's in everything. It's connected to the food that we eat and the cars that we drive, right? Sustainability, it's kind of a buzzword. I think it's overused sometimes, but it's attached to anything and companies use it to try to, you know, kind of puff up their marketing strategy, everything's sustainable. And uh, they use it in all of these areas, but have you ever connected the word sustainability with your life of faith, with your walk with the Lord. Now understand, I'm not talking about your salvation this morning. If you're saved today, so if you know that heaven is your home, understand that your salvation is guaranteed by Christ, not by you. It is not guaranteed by your good works. It's not guaranteed by your good feelings. It is guaranteed by Christ and Christ alone. So we're not talking about your salvation or the keeping your salvation or the sustainability of your salvation. No, no. What I'm talking about is your life of faith, the way that you approach the Christian life. What I mean is that it is important that you do not define your life of faith uh, in terms of situations or temporary opportunities. See, here's, here's the issue. Sometimes in life, we 
we have maybe like a big moment of faith, right? Where we go through a great trial and we come through it and we identify that moment as, okay, I was walking in faith in that moment. I went through that trial, I went through that difficulty. And, and our life of faith is, is sort of categorized by just these little moments throughout our life that are sort of scattered about our life. And we say, well, that's how I know I'm living by faith. But the, the, the fact is, is that our faith should not just be defined by temporary opportunities, but our faith should be defined, faith should be defined in terms of lifelong goals. It should be defined in our determination to remain faithful throughout our lives for the entire time that God gives us on this earth, building a legacy of true faith. A legacy of true faith. Now, I don't know, have you ever looked at your walk with God in that way? Have you ever looked at your faith in that way? Maybe for some of you, you only define it in those moments of of faith, you know, I took a leap, I did this, I trusted God, I shared my faith, I, I, I uh, uh, you know, I, I gave, I was generous even though uh, there was a financial issue and, and, and then God came through for me and we define it in that way. No, we need to define our walk of faith as a, it's a lifetime, it's a legacy. It should expand, expand the entire time of our life. And so my prayer for us today is that we would look back and be able to look back at our lives with contentment that we've done our best for Christ, that we've left a lasting impression and impact in the lives of those we love and those that we are blessed to influence. Now, I don't know where you are on your journey as a Christian. I don't know. I I know where I am. I know where I want to be. I know the legacy that I want to leave to my children. But I do know this. I want to be somebody, and I hope that you do as well, and I I believe this about each of you, that you want to have a long-lasting, (laughs) trial-defeating God-trusting, temptation-overcoming kind of faith that lasts a lifetime. The faith that stands the test of time that comes out on the other end, truly bringing glory to God through your life. I want to have the kind of faith that my children can see and the kind of faith that my children will emulate in their own lives. I think that's one of the big points of a parent dedication is to remind parents of the impact that their faith has on their children for a lifetime. So the hope for us this morning is that we would be challenged to have long-term goals in mind when it comes to our evident faith. That we don't just think in the, the, the short term or just think in the crisis. You know, often the Christian life, right, we're just jumping from crisis to crisis to crisis, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we're like, God, give me the strength for the day, you know? And then it's like, oh, I got through it. And then here's another crisis. Give me the strength for this. That, that is an aspect of life, yes. But we're trying to build something here. We're trying to build a legacy. We're trying to build something that lasts, And so there's got to be some deep roots. There's got to be some determination and some focus when it comes to that. And so when it comes to building this long-term, sustainable, evident faith, I think there's no greater passage than where I had you turn earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Now, as we begin this chapter, uh, we're reunited here with the Apostle Paul as he is in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. I have a picture here from uh, when I was there in Rome a few years ago. And of course, like any, uh, anything that has any historical or spiritual relevance in Rome, they put a church on it, right? And so there's a church that's built right on top of it. Uh, but you can still get down into the Mamertine prison and you kind of see it's underneath those columns there. And uh, this is what it looks like inside. I couldn't even stand up straight. I had to hunch over the whole time. And this is, as far as we know, this is the historical Mamertine prison there in Rome that Paul would have been locked up in. Uh, It's just small rooms, very, very small rooms, very low ceilings. Uh, There's still iron rings that are in the wall some 2,000 years later that prisoners would have been chained up to. And, uh, And so Paul was in this prison, and honestly, it was at the end of his life. 
Nero, who had started the wave of persecution against Christians after the Roman fire of AD 64, for the last four years had been arresting Christians, had really put the pressure on those. He, of course, he had tried to blame them for the fire that had happened. And of course, Nero was just a deranged guy anyway. I just want you to know, this here is a statue of himself. Notice how big it is, almost as tall as the Statue of Liberty in New York City. And this was placed right outside what we now know as the Roman Colosseum. And in fact, when we were there, you can still see uh, the, the imprint of where this statue would have been, but he built this to himself. He wanted to proclaim himself. He had uh, pretty high views of himself. Uh, and, uh, and so he was, I mean, just on the, the he was just, just after Christians. And so Paul had been arrested in this environment. He'd been falsely accused of crimes. We know here he's in prison. And honestly, what we do know from the chapters that are to come in, in the New Testament, that Paul is basically at the end. This is it. He is about to lose his life for his faith. And yet the thing that is so unique about Paul is that even though he's in a dungeon, even though he's locked up, even though he knows that he is facing sure execution and sure enough it's not that many months away, we still see him concerned about the believers that he had led to Christ. We still see him wanting to encourage them and minister to them. And the only way that he could do it is by writing letters. And so what we see here is Paul writing in his final letter, really his final chapter, writing and encouraging the people of God, encouraging us today, 2,000 years later, challenging us and giving us an example to follow so that we could learn to develop a life of faith, a lasting, evident faith. All right, so let's get into it this morning. We're in 2 Timothy in chapter number four. And I want us to see here, first of all, Paul's challenge that's given to us. Look at verse number one. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Okay, so his challenge here begins with a reminder about our motives for serving Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in light of the fact that we are one day gonna stand before God, and give an account for your actions, this is what you are to do. He says, you are going to stand before God. Now get that in your head, church. You are gonna stand before God one day. All of us are gonna stand before God individually and we're gonna give an account for the way that we live our lives. So that's a great way to approach, the, uh, approach life. You know, we live in a society where it's like, hey, I don't have to tell anybody, you know, I don't have to give an account to anybody, I can do whatever I want. No, we are gonna stand before God one day. Even if you escape this entire life doing literally whatever you want, which is a terrible way to live life, by the way. Uh, if, you li- if you somehow escape and get through life that way, you will stand before God. So he's saying, in light of that, remember, you're gonna stand before God. So because you're gonna stand before God, did you get that? How many times did I say stand before God? Uh, quite a few times, okay. <laughs> We're gonna stand before God, What are we to do? Look at verse two. He says this, preach the word. Say that with me. Preach the word. Come on, say it like you're a preacher. Preach the word. Okay, that's great. He says, in light of the fact that you're gonna stand before God, you need to preach the word. Then he says, be instant. That means ready, in season, out of season. Reprove, uh, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So Paul's challenge to us as believers is that we are to have a mindset in these three words here. He says, preach the word. What does that mean? That means to proclaim the word of God. That means that we are to give it out. We're to share it. We're to tell others about what the word of God contains. 
Now, this is a challenge that goes out to not only those like myself who have a calling to be ministers and to be pastors, but it's also a calling to all believers because we are to be people who are carrying the truth of the word of God to all people. We are to proclaim the truth. Then he says here, be ready in season or out of season. Uh, that word where it says instant, it means ready or diligent or urgent, meaning there's, a, there's an urgency to what we're doing here. We are trying to uh, tell people about the gospel, and we should be ready to tell the gospel at any time, whether it's convenient or not. One of the interesting things about the Christian life is that the opportunities that come to share your faith are never convenient. Have you noticed that? You're always like going somewhere, doing something, or sick, right? I don't know. You're just not ready for it. And then it comes, you're like, oh man, this is the time. That means, and that's why he says, you got to be ready at all times to give the word. Be ready to share the word. First Peter 3 emphasizes this where he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I love that. He says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that's in you. You know what that means? That means your hope should be visible. People should see the hope in you. And then when somebody says, hey, why are you different? Why, why are you not freaking out right now like the rest of us, you know? Why are you not going crazy? Okay, I'll tell you why, because I have faith. This week, Jeanette was meeting with somebody, and uh, they, were, they were asking her, like, what? They're not a Christian. They said, what do you do when you're stressed? Do you drink? Do you do drugs? Like, so this, is, this is my wife. And if you know my wife, is like, okay, do you do drugs? Do you, I, what else, I forget what else they asked you. They asked her all these things, right? And I was like, man. And she's like, she said to them, she says, I pray. I thought that was good. And he's like, okay, so you find this sense of like inner peace. She's like, no, I pray to God. <laughs> he's the one who can handle all my problems. And they were so confused by it. But you know what? It gave her an opportunity to speak of her faith because there's a uniqueness to the way that she approaches life. The rest of the world, they say, yeah, man, I had a rough week. I got to make sure I get a buzz this weekend so I can kind of forget how it went. Or I'm going to try to forget everything that I've gone through. No, no, no. As Christians, we're different. And so when that time comes that we can share the hope that is within us, we need to be ready. Okay, so he says here, preach the word and be ready. These uh, terms here, uh, reproving, rebuke, exhorting, uh, this simply means that we are to uh, reprove, deals with the conviction of the message. There's a conviction to it. When he says here, rebuke, that means to warn somebody. There's a warning that's involved in the gospel. Exhortation means that we should do it with comfort and with encouragement. The point being, the word of God is a precious gift that we need to always be ready to share with other people. There's an urgency to that. And we are to tell others regardless of whether or not it's politically correct. Okay? <laughs> We're so scared, right? We're scared all the time. Man, they've done a great job. I say they. Okay, don't get, think I'm, you know. They, the world, has done a great job of scaring people to not speak up about what they believe. And Christians, we kind of, we, 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 out of, sometimes out of a, an idea that as Christians, we're just a, eh, you know, like, don't, don't bother anybody. We don't speak up. But the command is, pre, is to tell, to give the word and be willing to speak up. You know, that's okay. We still have that freedom in this country and you can still speak up for your faith. Praise God for that. But we should do it regardless of what the world says we should be unashamed. That's not, again, that we're strange or like weirdos or, you know, screaming at people. That's not what we're talking about here. But you should be ready when that time comes to share your faith. You should be ready to speak the truth about the gospel. That's why on our Wednesday nights these last few weeks, we've been talking about how to share your faith with boldness, without fear. Because as Christians, we need to be ready to do that. It's a scriptural, biblical principle. So Paul says here, listen, if you're going to 
If you're going to be the person that's going to have a long-lasting faith, if you're going to be in a prison like he is at the end of his life and still say, continue on, we need to remember that we're going to preach the word. And here's the reason why we need to preach the word in verse 3 through 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, that's a key phrase here, this is the way that uh, mankind will go if we're not preaching the truth, okay? Well, I'll say this, even if we are preaching the truth, this is our natural inclination. After our own lust, we will heap to themselves, that means pile on teachers, and I love this phrase, having itching ears. The teachers don't have the itchy ears, they do, just so you understand it, okay? They're not like, hey, anybody got itchy ears, come around here. No, no, what he's talking about is themselves. They want someone to tickle their ears. You know what that means, right? That means they want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear just nice, I just want to hear nice things. No negativity, please, right? I just, no negativity, (laughs) Okay, maybe you have coworkers like that, right? <laughs> they just leave the room. Okay, so this is what happens. They, they, they will bring a whole bunch of people around them that are going to itch their ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. That's just fake stories. And then he says this, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Uh, I, I'm, I, don't want, I could spend a lot of time on this. I don't want to. But uh, just for the, for the time's sake, um, when I read this, though, man, this is the world we live in, isn't it? This is the world we live in. We are at a point in the modern church world or Christianity, if you want to call it that, where by our own, our own itchiness of our ears, our own desire to just hear what we want to hear and only get what we think we should, should hear, that we have created a myriad of celebrity preachers of people that only preach what people want to hear. They only say what they want to hear. They do not preach what scripture tells us the whole counsel of God, which means the word. We're to teach all of the word. I think that's why there's been such a major explosion in mega churches in these last couple of decades, because there are pastors that are out there that will just tell you whatever you want to hear. They'll just say, it, it'll, and it sounds great. I like listening to them. <laughs> it sounds great. But ultimately, there's only so many ways that you can say, <laughs> you're going to be okay, right? <laughs> At some point, there has to be some preaching of the doctrine that we see in Scripture. And so it's so easy today, of course, to go and to just fill our lives with uh, you know, all of these, these, these preachers and podcasts and YouTube and everything that's out there. And by the way, don't misunderstand me. I listen to preaching. I listen to podcasts. I get encouragement. But the temptation is, is that we can fill our lives with so much of this teaching that only speaks to us, to what makes us feel good, that we aren't ever confronted with the reality of the Christian life, which is what we are to do. That's what he says. He says, notice there in the verses, he says, there will come a time They will not endure sound doctrine. That means that you need to have sound doctrine. What is doctrine? It's teaching. You need to have it being taught into your life. One commentator put it this way. He said, they want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. They have a love for novelty in the church today. What's the newest thing? What's the coolest thing, right? Uh, We have a, a love for emotional movies. This was written a few years ago. Emotional movies, pageants, foot tapping music, colored lights, et cetera. Okay, is foot-tapping music and colored lights wrong? I don't know if it's inherently wrong, but if the only reason you're going to a church is because of the type of music, because it, it speaks to you in a certain way, 
I'm not just talking about the words, or because you go because they got cool lights, like, man, you know, (laughs) did you see the lights? I don't know. (laughs) That's why we go to Christmas trees, right? Or that's why we go around the city. But he says here, he says, uh, this, uh, he says, the man who simply opens the Bible is rejected while the shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. 2 Timothy 4.4 indicates that itching ears soon will become deaf ears as people turn away from the truth and believe man-made fables. And we saw that there at the second part of that verse. Now, this is a challenge for us today. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to get across to us. If we're going to have a, a faith that is continuing on, that is moving forward, we need to be willing to preach the word for what it is, the, the, the hard things and the good things. There's so much good in Scripture, obviously, but there are challenges And at the same time, we need to commit to make sure that we are under that kind of teaching as well. We need to be under that kind of preaching. Now, this is like, to me as a pastor, it's a great challenge because I'm reminded of my calling to preach the word in this way, to not just, you know, look out there and be like, oh, I wonder what Jonah wants to hear today, you know? I don't know what it is, but, you know, to to, to create my messages thinking about, you know, what does everybody want to hear? Now, some of you think that I do that anyway because I'll preach and you're like, you know what's going on in my life right now. And I want you to know, I never create a message with any of you in mind. So just understand that. But sometimes there's things as we are walking through scripture verse by verse, that's why I love preaching verse by verse, that confronts us, that challenges us. And the temptation is to skip over it And my promise to you and our public job review that's happening right now is that I'm not going to skip over it. I'm going to preach it because this is what it it says. Because we don't want to be a church that is only preaching one lane. Hey, Hanson, can you close that door, man? I can feel the cold air in here. Are you guys okay? (laughs) This is blowing in here. Sorry. I want to make sure everybody's comfy. Itching, no, I'm (laughs) itching ears. I want to make sure you're all comfortable. I guess that would be the opposite. Okay. Okay, so, man, the time is going quickly today. Um, I get too excited with this stuff. All right. Uh, Paul's challenge. We did that. Let's, let's, I'm going to jump ahead. We're going to do a little editing on the fly, right? Paul's confidence. Let's look at this, okay? Paul's confidence. I want to make sure that we cover this. Verse 6 through 8, he says, For I am ready to be offered. So he says, The day's coming, so now I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Since there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul viewed his life as an offering, church. He, he viewed his life uh, as something that was to be poured out before God. He knew that his death was very near. And as he sat in this dungeon writing out his final letter that we have to the churches, he was confident in the fact that he had done everything in his life to bring honor to Christ. Notice there, verse seven, he says, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Here, I wanna just point these out real quickly. First of all, he says, I fought a good fight. What does that mean? It means that the Christian life is a battle, we're in a spiritual war. And we must fight our adversary in the right way. Right, he didn't fight dirty here. <laughs> he fought in the right way, he did the right thing. And so he says here that I've, I've fought against false teachers. I've stood for the truth. Of course, this is Paul's testimony. I've stood against sin. He himself personally had a testimony of righteousness and of pursuing God. So he says, I fought a good fight. Notice he also says that I finished my course, meaning he knew that he had completed the course that God had called him to do. Notice he did not claim he had won the race, right? I finished in first place. No, no, no. Now we would say that, yeah, Paul, he's probably gotten first place. No, he just says, I finished my course. I've finished what God has called me to do. 
And there's great satisfaction and thankfulness in remaining faithful to what God has called us to. So if you know that God has called you to something and God has gifted you in a certain way and you know that you're to be a part of this church or you're to be part of a, a, you know, a family of faith if you're just visiting from somewhere else, I don't know where you're all from or where you're watching from, but listen, wherever God has placed you, be all in and be focused and just be, be a part of it. And, and finish the course, keep going. And then he says here, kept the faith. In other words, he remained faithful despite the hardships and the letdowns. If you read 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 33. I'm not going to cover it all today. I'll put the reference up for you. You can write it down. But if you go there and you read about Paul's life, he lists there all of the hard things that he went through. And he went through some rough stuff. And I'll tell you this, when you compare what he went through and you compare what we go through, our stuff just looks a lot smaller. Now, we go through some hard things too. You have probably been through some things that the apostle Paul did not go through. But the point here is that he kept the faith. He kept continuing on. He continued on. He was faithful. And so as he summarizes his life for us here in this sentence, he illustrates to us the importance of a long-lasting faith. Think about this for a moment. What if Paul had faltered in his faith? What if the apostle Paul had not followed Christ when he was confronted with him in that moment? On that road, right? When God came to him, the road to Damascus, and his life was radically transformed. What if he had decided at that time, you know what? It's not for me. What if he had not gone to preach at Mars Hill in Athens? For me, that's really personal because God used Acts 17 and his message to call me to the ministry. When he preached there and, it looked, and he looked around and he saw that there was gods to all kind, there, there was idols to all kinds of gods except for the one true God. And he, he says, him, I declare unto you, God used it in my life tremendously. But what if he had not gone there? What if he had not done that? What if he had not gone to Macedonia? What if he had not uh, gotten on those ships to preach the gospel? What if he had not been willing to train Barnabas and John Mark and Timothy? What would be the implications of that decision? You know, for us, as we consider the subject of a long-lasting faith, it helps to consider what is the result what is the implication if we do not follow God in this way? Some of you have been impacted severely by people that you looked up to that were followers of Christ that maybe in the end of their life or years later or in the middle of their life just completely deconstructed their faith, walked away from God, or maybe had a, a, an incredible fall into sin. And you know the impact. Consider in your own life the people that God has blessed you to influence and the people that are around you. Consider the impact if you did not build and have that long-lasting faith. Listen, we're not just living for ourselves. We're living for others. That's what God's called us to do. He's called us to live for other people. So consider that. But Paul gives us his confidence here. He says, I've continued on. I've kept the faith. I've moved forward. I hope that that's your desire as well too, to continue on. I'm gonna finish my course. Whatever God has given me, I'm gonna stay faithful in that. My kids need it. Uh, my friends need it. My family needs it. I'm going to continue on. And we see that as we continue with Paul's companions here. Now, I'm not going to read for you all of the verses I was going to read. I was going to read verses 9 all the way down to verse number 22. I'll give you the, the cliff notes of it. He mentions a whole bunch of people. A couple of notable names. Demas, who forsook him, turned his back on him. A guy by the name of Alexander the coppersmith, not to be confused with Alexander the silversmith, right? Alexander the coppersmith, okay, we know who he is. He did him dirty. Now, he didn't say that in the verse. Some of you are looking there, right? <laughs> uh, he says he did him much evil. He did him, he did him wrong. So those are two notable people that he mentions. But outside of those two, and we know that there was many situations in his life, 
There's a whole litany of names in here of people that meant a great deal to the Apostle Paul, that he had relationships with, that he had uh, developed a a very close relationship with. And the focus that I want us to have here is the overwhelming result of his life of faith. It resulted in close relationships. It It resulted in people who loved him, people that he was able to influence and encourage because of his lifelong commitment to faith. You know, today we dedicated these babies. And so parents... So those of you that have children today, listen, the greatest impact you can have on your children is a consistent lifetime of faith. Consistent lifetime of faith. Now, if you were blessed to grow up in a family like that, like I was, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family, you don't appreciate, you don't appreciate the impact of a spiritual family until you get much older. And then you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> I, see, I see why it was necessary. I'm so thankful for that. And for those of you that are maybe just new Christians, Listen, you can make a huge, tremendous difference in your children by simply having a faith that lasts. Very simply today, the evidence of our faith is not measured in moments, but in a lifetime of faithfulness. And the best time to start is now. The best time to start is now. It's not, you know, when I get everything figured out. You know, sometimes when you're younger, you're like, when I'm older, then I'll be a good Christian. But right now, I'm just going to, you know, do what I want to do. Listen, what happens is you live the rest of your older years in regret of those decisions that you made. So the best time to start is right now. Don't wait until you feel ready. Just start living by faith right now. Those of you that are single today, listen, live and develop those patterns of faithfulness. So that when God does bless you one day with that person that you are looking for, that spouse, that, that lifetime relationship, you have a solid foundation already to build your life on. You're not like scrambling like, oh man, I better get my life together now because I really like them. <laughs> you know, I got to get it figured out. No, start building that right now in your life. Build those patterns. Parents, build your family on faith. Make your walk with God a high priority. Not just intellectually, but actually do it. Actually do it. Prove to your children through your example, through your involvement, uh, through, how, through the things that you do and the decisions that you make that, listen, our walk with God is more important than anything else. I would say this, if you're older here today, and maybe you don't have kids that are living at home anymore, you're in a different life stage, can I ask you, please don't give up. Don't ever mail it in and be like, you know what, I've, 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 I've done enough for the, for the cause of Christ. I've had people say that to me. That's, that's, that's heartbreaking. Because I gotta tell you, be the example that our generation needs. I'm so thankful that our church, we have so many generations that are represented here. But I gotta tell you, those of you that are mature and you've lived some life, we need you. We need your example. We need your faithfulness. We need your prayer. We need to hear the stories of how God has brought you through so many different, and so many different challenges. I'm so blessed as pastor to get to know most of you in a very intimate way. I know your stories. I know what you've been through. And some of you that have lived some life have been through some great tragedies. And we have young adults that are going through similar situations right now. And they need you. They need you. They need to know that there is a light on the other side. They need to know that they can get through it. So whatever stage of life that we are in, let's begin building these patterns of faithfulness that will last a lifetime. The impact of the decisions that we make right now will impact the generations to come. So those of you, I know, some of you, you're new Christians and you're just like, I don't even know where to start. I never had that example. I didn't have a Christian mom or dad. I didn't, I didn't, 
I didn't have that. Where do I start? Listen, reach out to mature believers and say, how do I start? We'll help you. I would love to help you with that. But you have to be the one that says, listen, this is what I want. This is what I want for my life. I'm determined. I want to have a long-lasting, determined life of faith. That's real evidence right there. That's real evidence. Great things are built over time, not in a day, right? Man, we see that. Everything's up and down, up and down. But the Christian life that makes a difference, that is real evidence, is a long-lasting, sustainable faith. And we've got to pursue it with our whole hearts. And that's my challenge for you today. Let's allow our faith. Let's pursue a long-lasting, evident faith. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning for a time of reflection together. And I think the application is very simple, but would you commit this morning to developing patterns of faithfulness that will last a lifetime? Maybe there's some of you today, you are right now, you are facing the temptation to give up, to quit. You say, it's too hard. I've, I've tried it and man, it's not really working out. Would you this morning commit to say, I'm just, I'm going to build those patterns. You parents for your children, singles for your future relationships and for the strength of the life that God has given you right now. Maybe some of you today just need to be recommitted to sharing the gospel with the world around you and, and being ready to give an answer. These are all elements. Maybe, maybe you're searching for a place, you're looking for a place that you can get under some doctrinal teaching and preaching. My prayer is that you would commit to do that. Don't just pursue having your ears tickled just to hear what you want to hear. But let's be committed followers of Scripture in its entirety and understanding what God has for us.